following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Today's message is the importance of unity, so uh, we're going to get right into that. Heavenly Father, good morning. We praise your holy name. We thank you for who you are. We love you, Lord, our creator, our heavenly father, everything you are. Lord Jesus, our savior, our Lord, our king, bless your name. Holy Spirit, thank you. Come into this place. Meet us where we are. May this message that comes out of my mouth be a glory to you. May it praise you. May others meet you because of your spirit. Draw us closer to you. Help us to be unified. For every person who has needs, Lord, you know those needs. We ask you, Father, to bring them comfort, to bring them strength, to bring them peace. If they have questions, that you'll provide answers. Lord, this is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. May we give you glory through our lives as we go forward this day. I pray especially, Lord, for for all of the schools that are about to reopen, for all the teachers, especially those who are believers who have to stand for you, all the staff, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. Lord, our our culture, our society is in desperate need of you. And Lord, this message, Lord, may it be a reflection of the unity that you prayed for, that we would come together as believers for you and for your glory. We thank you so much for all you do, all you've done, and all you're going to do. And it's in Jesus' mighty name and precious name. Amen. So today's text is John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Um, So if you would be so kind to consider to stand as we read today's text, to read God's word. Um, This section has a a title in many Bibles called Jesus Prays for All Believers. John 17, 20 to 26. I do not ask for these only but also for those who believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with, be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So each month uh, this year, I've been privileged to stand before you and to share this message of, of dwell um, and just continues to remind me how much God loves us. Um, it's very easy to get off track and to lose sight of that for a second. But when you dig into his word and you see what Jesus was praying for here, uh, it just illuminates the fact that he loves us beyond our imagination, that he desires an intimate relationship with us. And do we find peace and rest in that? You can. Believe it. Brings to mind a, a quote that says, Life has many chapters. One bad one does not mean it's the end of the book. Right? Isn't it true that it doesn't take much for us to get off center? That good or bad, up and down, challenges in life, that we have opportunities to be a blessing because we've been blessed. We have so much to be thankful for. So let me encourage you today that God is bigger than any of your problems. That you can trust him. He will come through. And this message speaks to that clearly as Jesus is praying for unity to overcome. How many of you are tired and sick or sick and tired? sick and tired of being sick and tired you want to quit or you don't want to do something you're reluctant or maybe you're in a good place maybe you're feeling comfortable let me encourage you stay in the word don't you give in don't get complacent the devil's slick he's looking for an opportunity to put doubt in your mind to make you think that your circumstances are too big for God to handle. Sometimes we think we're being buried when actually we're being put exactly where God wanted to plant us so that we will grow right there. Be encouraged because the Lord is with you. He wants you to grow where you're planted. Okay, so a little refresher. John, we're going we're gonna to focus on dwell. John chapter 17, the Gospel of John. Um, let's do a, a little dwell refresher, if, if I may, since um, certainly these things uh, come up in, in various ways uh, in other sermons by Pastor Colin and Fred. Um, but the focus is dwell, it's, it's to abide. And so in John chapter 14, uh, John, uh, Jesus explains that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, we've heard that before. He foreshadows the Holy Spirit coming in chapter 14 as well. He also tells us in 15, verses 15 through 17, if you love me, You will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows, nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and, you will, and will be in you. Dwell. We learned that the love language of God is for us to regularly meditate on his word, to spend time in prayer, to listen to his voice, to obey. Jesus makes that very clear in chapter 15, verses 4 through 17. He, he, he makes the analogy of him being the vine and us being the branches. And without being connected, we can do nothing. In chapter 16, Jesus is preparing to leave. And this is where it gets really interesting. This is where the focus of our message starts to, to, to come to light. He's preparing to go to the cross. In verses 6 through 11, he reminds the disciples that the Holy Spirit is coming. In verse 33, which we've seen many times and we've heard, but let's never forget it. That they should take heart because he has overcome the world. Whatever trials, whatever tribulations. This is, this is an amazing kind of foreshadowing into what happens next. Imagine the mind of the disciples during this period of time. Here's Jesus talking about leaving. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Do you think that they were puzzled? Perplexed? Scared? Concerned? Angry? Did he spend three years of their lives with Jesus? What are they to do? Let's make it real practical. Has that ever been your your mindset. What am I supposed to do? Have you been overwhelmed, scared, upset, overcome with emotions? Well, let me encourage you today. Jesus has offered the greatest promise. He has overcome the world. And how can we trust this promise? Of course, because I said so, right? Pastor Colin, maybe much more than me. But seriously, dwell, abide. Abide in his spirit, abide in the word. That's where the answers are. That's what supports this promise that helps us to understand that it's that's true. So that's what we're going to go into today. We're going to we're going to look at that point of view. That the unity of our church body, of all the believers, relies on abiding in him. So we're, tomorrow's August 1st, people. I don't know about you, but this summer's been very up and down for me. Just being completely Transparent. even though I keep telling myself that every day is a new day, to build on yesterday, to stay positive, doesn't take much. How's that going? How's your dwell time? Have you found a, a sweet spot 
Well, let me encourage you as you come through these last few months, continue. Don't look back, look forward. Look into the word and let him carry you. Stay positive because the Lord likes you. He's fond of you. He loves you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. This is what continues to come up, bubble up as I dig into his word when I have my own doubts. So the, the title of this, uh, this message is Importance of Unity. It's funny because I, uh, I, I had a couple of possibilities as I was going through this uh, text, and I kid you not, um, there's probably about a dozen other people who have had sermons or some other you know, commentaries, and they said the same thing. So I'm like, maybe I'm on the right track. Maybe that's appropriate. But as I mentioned, uh, there was foreshadowing of the Holy Spirit as we lead into chapter 17. He's leaving. He says he's overcome the world. Now, in the other three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, chapter 17, this holy prayer doesn't really appear in the same way. Matter of fact, it's those, those texts have reference to the Lord's Supper. They have reference to praying in the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus and his disciples. In Luke twenty two thirty nine. It points to that very issue, and he says, as was his custom, he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the base of the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. Jesus knows what's on the other side of tomorrow, in the next half of a day, maybe less. He knows that he's about to be betrayed. He knows that he's about to be arrested. He knows that he's about to be crucified, die, and be buried in a tomb. He knows this is coming. Keep that in mind, because he goes to pray, and to dwell, and to abide. Now in chapter 17 of the book of John, many of the different translations will have a title for this chapter. Chapter 17, called the high priestly prayer. We know Jesus is our high priest. He's our king. These six verses sometimes get a subheading, and that subheading is, Jesus prays for all believers. Now, the first part of this chapter, and I could spend a month on this chapter alone, because the first six verses are Jesus praying for himself having an intimate conversation with God the Father. From 7 to 19, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And I, and I encourage you to go back and, 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 and look deeply at this chapter. But today's focus is 20 to 26, and Jesus is praying for all believers. That's us. He's praying for you. going to the Father on your behalf. 
He's praying for unity. He's praying for a bond of togetherness within the believers, within the body of believers. Did you know that Jesus was praying for you? And he's continuing to pray for you. And if you did, do you bring that to mind every day and be thankful? So let's look at our memory verse once again, a little bit shorter than the full text, uh, verses 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only. And in that he's referring to his disciples uh, in the previous part of the prayer. But also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. He's praying for those who will believe in verse 20. That's us. In verse 21, that they may all be one. He's praying for unity. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, all, that they also may be in us. And here's where it all gets tied together so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that the question? Isn't that the, the concern of people who don't believe? When Jesus was a guy, sure, he lived, but he wasn't God. He wasn't sent by God. And then he repeats it again in, in verse 23. He's praying for the unity of all believers. When we believe in Jesus Christ, God loves you as much as he loved his son because he sees you in Jesus. We don't need to jockey for position or get bent out of shape when somebody doesn't have the right theological views. The gospel should humble us and at the same time affirm us so that we can reach out across barriers and be on mission together. That's from, from Pastor Tim Keller. Does that not tie it together? Isn't that an issue that we see in our culture today? The concern over denominational doctrine. But yet the basic tenets of, of our faith are the same. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writes, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
calling for unity, calling for togetherness, recognizing that there's one true God made up in, this, in, the, in the, the Godhead of three parts of God the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Majoring on the minors seems to be a pastime in our culture, is it not? But God's design is unity. It's clearly the point of Jesus' prayer here. God is not a God of division or chaos. Let's look at our culture for a minute. Politics. Hmm. No division there. How about marriage? How's that working out? Hmm. First in line. Family. Society in general. Concerns over health care issues. Even the churches and the different denominations and what they believe and what they stand for and they're willing to be divided on issues that don't deal with eternity. That is not God's design. That's what Paul's referring to there and that's what Jesus is praying for. He's talking about the body of Christ coming together. He's not talking about the buildings Now, I will say one of my biggest complaints, if you will, uh, during the COVID era, which we're still technically in, was where were the churches? Where was the unity? A lot of finger pointing, a lot of fear. People closing up, closing out. It was a test. There's no, no, no question in my mind that God was testing believers. He's desiring unity that's rooted in love, bringing together the many parts of our body. Do you believe that? So, application, how does this manifest itself in our society? How do we find that? How do we recognize it? Abiding deeply. Loving God. Loving people. It's a spirit thing. The Holy Spirit is what we're calling for to move. Jesus purposely left and said that the Holy Spirit is coming so that we can humbly and confidently trust him, submit to him. So the question is, will we do it? Will we get out of our own way and let the Lord have his way in our lives? And again, when I've I've referred to, you know, are you feeling good? Is your life in a good place? It wasn't meant to bring that down. Don't get complacent, because I'm guilty of that all the time. It's when things are good, when we kind of realize or think we realize that, well, I don't really need the Lord at this point in my life. Don't you do it. Abide. Remain. Is there anything in your life that needs to change? Are you in too much of a routine? Is there fruit? Fruit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that fruit being evident to all? Pray on that. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Verse 22 in today's text, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Is that not awesome? Jesus is praying that the unity between him and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and us and that we recognize that he loves us as much as he loves his son. He speaks of the glory of God in this verse. That same glory, what is glory? Right, glory, 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 be glorified. It's everything, right? Both visible and invisible. It's the majesty of our king. It's the praise, the beauty, the goodness, the power, the might, the loveliness, the excellence. It goes on and on. Do we think of that, those things, as he calls us in Philippians 4, verse 8? Paul calls and says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Are you prone to think about negative things when you're thinking in this way? Are you not walking in the spirit that these things are coming to your mind and to your heart more regularly? Of course. That's the call. Is something buried deep down in your heart underneath all of that fluff that's just waiting to erupt? First in line. But am I thinking about these things that are honorable? or just, praiseworthy, or am I kind of thinking about maybe it's important for me to be right? Because is that not a call away from our typical nature? It's not important to always be right. Man, it's taken me a long time to come to grips with that. Because what does it bring? It brings disunity. It brings division. But the glory of God, the praiseworthy things of God, the Spirit of God brings unity, brings together the believers. Because we're not the same, but we're on the same mission. Right? Are we looking for those praiseworthy things? Are we looking for God's fingerprints to find him in everyday life? When you get in your car and you're about to drive, or do we just go into that mindless mode of I've done this a million times and today I'm going to just do the same? 
Holy Spirit, come even in my car, especially in my car. Or is it only in those big ticket moments when we say glory to God and those are worthy of praise? But in the minutia, in the small things, the little things of life that we take for granted, that we think, I got this, God. No way. That doesn't bring together unity of the body of believers. It's thinking about these things and letting the Spirit have its way and submitting to that that gives us that opportunity to be unified in the body. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes it all possible. His radiance, His beauty, His magnificence, His grace, His mercy, and His love. Even in the little things. Especially in the little things. Where do those little things build up into nothing? I remember almost 25 years ago when I was going through some counseling with my bride before we got married. And one of the questions I was asked of us was, do you like running errands together? Sure. Sure I did. But it's, it brings, it's a microcosm. It's a small picture of the little things in life because do you appreciate those little things of running errands together with your bride? Now, I'll be honest, I can't keep up. So, God understands. <laughs> Love you, babe. But what's the purpose? What's the purpose of this unity, even in the little things, that we be unified as believers? If you look at verse 23 again, it says that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me because you loved me. There's a purpose, a divine purpose for that unity. That we would become perfectly one. Not a little bit, not so-so, not halfway, but perfectly. Complete. And that the world may know that you, God, sent Jesus because you loved him. And by that, you love us. Amazing. Thank you, Lord. That's what it's after. That's what we're after. That's what Jesus is praying for. Now, earlier in chapter 17, he's praying for himself. He talks about glorification. Speaks to the perfect unity between God the Father and God the Son. So in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 17, it reads, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Make no mistake, Jesus was there at the beginning. So here he is, fully God, fully human, praying for us. He prayed for the disciples 
We're included in that. That perfect unity, that desire for perfection. That we see the magnificence, the radiance, the Shekinah glory, the, the unapproachable light. We share in that. Verse 24 goes on to say, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus desires that we see his glory, his beauty, his radiance, and that we go out and share it. What does that look like in your life? Everybody's going to be a little bit different. It's not cookie cutter, and that's, that's an issue. We love to compartmentalize and put people in a box, put God in a box, what it should look like. That's not his desire. The purpose is the same, but we're not the same. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Every hair in our head, he's counted them all. Jesus is is in his fully human state here at this prayer in chapter 17. But he's still able to reflect that glory. Apostle Paul references this in chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's darkness. People are living in darkness. That should break our heart. It should not prevent us from experiencing God's glory. We need that radiant light of Christ. That guidance, that spirit to come together, to be unified. To bring light out of darkness. I think God has some experience with that. Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good. And God separated light from the darkness. Light changes things. When light is shining on circumstances, his light, each one of us who is a believer was once in darkness. 
the grace of God, through the faith in Jesus Christ, brought you out of that darkness. Your eyes were opened to the Spirit. The glory of God came down for each of us and that we would have that close, intimate unity. Now, it's not overnight. Sanctification takes time. I've said this many times. And that's from personal experience. But that close, intimate unity, that's the desire of God for all believers. And maybe your eyes are still a little clouded. Or maybe you believe you're still in that place where you can't trust fully who God is and who Jesus Christ is. That's okay. It's not too late. Pray about it. I'll be praying for you. I pray that the Spirit would move in this place. For those who have questions, who have, those who have maybe fallen back and are concerned that your eyes would be open, that the darkness would be drowned out by the light, that you would move toward unity, that you would move toward a place of willingness to abide, to stay close, to remain in the Spirit, in the Word, trusting Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus stood in our place. He took the penalty of all of our sin. He suffered mightily for us. Can we even imagine that kind of, con- that kind of sacrifice? But yet we're called to do the same. He wanted us to demonstrate our love for him by following his commands, which includes sacrificial living. That's part of this intimacy. That's part of this submission and trust and unity sacrificial living hold on a second now wait a minute I thought I just had to believe right I just thought I had to believe uh, I'm glad that Jesus did that for me I'm glad that he died on the cross he took my sin and, 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 and all that I'm not ready for that sacrificial living it's a uh, yeah but Jesus did this for me, but. Jesus died for me, but. Jesus took hell for me on the cross, but. A lot of big buts in my life. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Sacrificial living. Denying yourself. Not always being right. Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
Matthew 10, 38 to 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Each of us have to count the cost of following Jesus. It is a choice. It'll be challenging. And maybe you've been a believer for your whole life. That's okay. Because I guarantee you there's choices that you have to make this week, maybe today, maybe when you get out into that parking lot that are going to be challenges. And are you willing to give some of those things up for the unity of the body? Witnessing, experiencing God, becoming uncomfortable because you trust God to see you through. And we're called to make disciples in in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. I don't think it's in the slides. We've heard it many times. This is the great commission. It's not a suggestion. Jesus is telling us to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to follow and obey all of the commandments that he has given. It's not optional. As believers, that's our calling. That's the cost. Are you all in to that calling? Have you examined that recently? Can we make disciples if we're not all in? God can do anything. Make no mistake. Even if you're not all in, God can use you. But why would we not want to fully submit to to experience his glory, to be unified with our creator and other believers in this great commission? Everything we have is his. Preserving anything as far as relationships and those sorts of, uh, you know, Material things, it's his. Count the cost. How do we do that? Abide. Remain. Reside in his word. And we're going to see when we get to these last two verses that he's going to reside in you. He dwells in us. Through this prayer of unity, it's, it's reciprocal. Jesus is praying to God for all of us. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and us unified in this calling. How do other people understand what goes on? It's by our unity. People who are not believers would see us by our love, by our care, our love for God, That's what brings them through to repentance, kindness, and love. So you can see the unity and dwelling, abiding, and how they're connected. Verse 25, O righteous Father, 
Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He's closing out this prayer, Jesus is. He knows he's about to be captured and tortured. Betrayal is not only on the front side with Judas, but he's going to have, he knows Peter's, he's going to deny him. The others are going to run and hide. But yet in this prayer, he's recognizing God the Father as holy and righteous. He's never taking his eye off of that. He never wavers. Put yourself in that situation and see how you might respond. How do we respond when something simple happens that doesn't go our way or we're feeling slighted? Are we trusting that those circumstances are in order? That God is in control? That we can trust him to see us through, to strengthen us, to revive us in those moments when we want to go back to our old man nature? Jesus proclaimed that he's done all that he could, all that he was asked to do. And now he's asking God to love the believers as God loved him. He's praying that the love of God would be deeply seated in those believers, us. God is love. We've talked about that in previous months. Where does it come from? It comes from him. He is the author of love. He is love. And it's being orchestrated through us through our abiding in the word and trusting in him, in our prayer, in our listening. Now he's, Jesus is asking God to abide in us in these last two verses. He's praying for unity among the believers, which comes from the abiding and dwelling. Yes. But our God is dwelling in us. Our submission, our openness has to occur for that to happen. We're not robots. We're not puppets. We have the choice to open up our minds, our hearts, our souls, that the Lord can dwell in us, and in return, we dwell in him. So this is the importance of unity, the title. Sacrifice, yes. Dwelling with the Lord, yes. And what's the result? Joy. Do you have joy in your relationship with the Lord? Or are you trudging through mud? Yeah, I believe. Man, I believe, but, you know, it's tough. He promises that. It's joy in the journey. It's not happy times, happy circumstances. We must be unified. All believers, that's what he's praying for. Jesus is praying for in this situation. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, this is against our nature. 
Because we want to be right. We want to be first. We want to compete. This is why the Holy Spirit is so critical. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. How about you? So I was meditating on a, a devotional, and, and literally there was no author. Um, I apologize, because I would certainly give credit. It goes like this. The flesh does not want to die. It rages within. It kicks. It screams. We want to follow the Lord, but our flesh revolts. It whines. It complains. It kicks. It screams. It wants comfort. It wants ease. It wants its own way. It wants to be satisfied. It doesn't want to work hard. And so often we listen. It's hard not to. But thanks be to God. He has not left us alone in this fight. We have his Holy Spirit who enables us to say no to the flesh and put it to death. And he prays, Holy Spirit, please come and inspire us to follow Jesus today and every day. Forgive us when we fall short. Cleanse our hearts, minds, and souls and renew us with your Holy Spirit. Shine through us for your glorification, Lord. The Holy Spirit will remind us to humble ourselves before the Lord, to give up our prideful posture when we recognize Jesus is King. Ask for forgiveness every day. Recognize that there is grace. Be willing to forgive. Be as gracious with your fellow man as God is with you. And recognize that Jesus is King. When we were up in Louisiana in June, our foreman, uh, Mike, amazing guy for those who know what I'm talking about, before we prayed, and, and this is probably a Samaritan's Purse thing, they got down on their knee. You're bowing to the king. You're, you're not taking this for granted. And it's not to be going through some motion, but when you truly are intimate and you recognize that, It's humbling is what it is. Um, brief little detour here for a second. It reminds me of something that um, probably 15 years ago, uh, there was a, a band by the name of Delirious with a question mark. Great, great worship band. Um, and, I, and, I, and I recently discovered how much I loved them um, in the past and just kind of got away from it, but they have a song called Majesty. And it's just running through my head all the time, ever since. And uh, you know, many people have sang a version of it, Michael W. Smith and, and others. Um, but, but the thing is, it brings to mind who he is. To not take that for granted. And so just a, a couple of quick lyrics here, just to, to kind of bring this point home. That the king is praying for us, that we be unified with him. Awesome. Here I am, humbled by your majesty. I wish I would sing it, but you'd, I'd be embarrassed. Covered by your grace so free, here I am, knowing I'm a sinful man, covered by the blood of the lamb. 
And now I found the greatest love of all is mine. Since you laid down your life, the greatest sacrifice. Majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am, empty-handed, but alive in your hands. Sanctified by glory and fire. Here I stand knowing that I'm your desire. He's our king, but yet he's our friend. He's praying for our unity with him and other believers. He's provided the spirit to lead us in that way. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let the enemy get a foothold and fill you with lies. I say it all the time. I'm talking to myself. But I, tell, I share it with others all the time. Because when you have doubts, when you're second guessing, you want to pull back. Lean in. Press on toward the goal. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking unity and a close relationship with him. Be open to changing your plans. Stubborn people. Philippians 2, verses 14 to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Hold on a second. All things? I'm out. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is clear. When we're walking in unity, in the, in the light, we are a light to this dark world. He goes on in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How's that going? Have you fallen down recently? Say things you regret. Think things you shouldn't. Maybe omit something you should have said or done. I'm really good at that. As I said, are you gracious with others the way God is with you? Are you willing to let go of your commitment to be right for the sake of unity? So Paul says, press on toward the goal. He mentions earlier, run the race. She doesn't know I'm doing this. Finish the race. Now, I'm gonna just share something with you real quick. You guys don't know this. You probably would be shocked to know that since January, I've actually been kind of running. I joined a club called Run for God. And it's a, it's a biblical Christian organization that kind of encourages people to get out of their comfort zone. And so a couple weeks ago, I ran a 10K which is 6.2 miles, and I'm not bragging. 
It was, it was like slow motion, but I, I finished. <laughs> but here's, here's the point. A week before that, I was doing kind of a practice run. And I shared that with my lovely bride, Mary Beth, and I, but she misunderstood and thought that that was the day that I was running the 10K. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, you got to get up really early because it's hot. And so I'm coming around. I finished. I'm walking it off. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I come around the corner, and I see this. <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you. I finished. I was about to die. And I look up, and I'm like, are you kidding me? She's blocked my entrance. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious here. I, I was like, are you, what is she, cleaning the carpets? What is going on? I need to get in AC fast. So I come around. You can't see it because it's actually been cleaned up by the time I took this picture. But there was a vase, a glass vase there. And I come around and I bang on the door. I'm like, and I smash the vase into bits. And Mary Beth comes running over and she's got a medal. And this is the finish line that she was encouraging me to finish the race. And I wrecked it. I've, I'm, I'm wrecked still talking about it. But I want to I share something with you about this. Because she's got a heart of gold. You all know that. She puts up with me, which speaks for itself. Finish the race. It's not the end. God's grace. She had to have grace for me right then and there because I was an idiot. I did not. In that moment, that mindless moment, the spirit didn't speak. She's the best. Life is a battleground, not a playground. The devil will take any opportunity to slip in and give you a chance to mess it up to ruin your witness, to ruin your opportunity to share the gospel. But when we abide, when we walk or jog in the spirit, we can have confidence in the promises of God. And we can certainly learn to be more gracious, to be more kind, to be more loving, to be more just considerate. We have the tools God has provided. He is a great provider. Uh, Pastor Colin mentioned this last week. I mentioned it last month. But we have the tools. We talked about the armor of God for three weeks. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. In particular, verse 19 and also for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. See, we oftentimes get the word boldly mixed up with being a fool. In your face. I'm apologetic. I'm in your face. There's a difference between being bold and offensive. 
We must be willing to proclaim the gospel. We must live it out. We pray for the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart to be pleasing to you, Lord. Not just for the Lord, but for others. We must contend for the faith. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Goes back to that whole message, that prayer from Jesus Christ for all believers. Contend for the faith. Strong, bold. And as Colin mentioned last week, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6, in particular 4 through 6, the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So are you prepared to be bold, to contend for the faith, to use the, the power of prayer and the word of God to encourage unity, to be a unifier, to be willing to live sacrificially, to be willing to avoid confrontation for the sake of confrontation. Are you putting on the full armor of God? The belt of truth. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit. So Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for our unification. We must abide, trust him, and go confidently. With that, with the worship team, if they want to come up here, I'm finishing up. Thankful for the opportunity to share this message with the Lord brought to me today. I hope that as you go forward this week that you'll have the opportunity to, to be a light in this world, this dark, twisted place, but also filled with God's glory and God's fingerprints. And be willing to look for those God sightings if you've heard this message today and you're, and you're not sure, don't leave here today without us praying for you, praying with you. Colin, Fred, Marty, myself, others. Today's the day. If you have been sliding a little bit and you're not sure, maybe recommit. Today's the day. Every day is a new day. His mercies are new every morning. God is good. He loves you. I love you. Lord bless you all. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.